If you're wondering what you're tuning into, this is a podcast aimed toward documenting what I've learned as a Dine, both in education and personal experience. Having been raised as a Christian and now actively renovating my identity as Nahoka Dine, an earth surface person, I at least have a basic understanding of both worlds and the distinctions thereof. In full disclosure, I will in the coming year provide theological and philosophical interpretations of the Diné creation narrative. Some of these may seem pretty odd, because some interpretation I have not learned from any teacher. But there is an inner yearning in my spirit that compels me to pursue this venture. It's hard to explain. But if you wish to tag along, feel free to listen and even reach out if you have comment on what I have to say. Though some interpretation I haven't learned from anyone, I am open to being critiqued by those who spent their whole life studying and reciting these stories. Over the years, I have reached out to traditional colleagues about certain issues, and so far, there has been minor adjustments to my endeavor. Furthermore, the Diné creation myth is sacred to the Navajo Nation, and non-Navajo circulation of these stories should be greenlit by a trusted Navajo individual, so these stories aren't misrepresented and kept within the respective time frame of winter. Unless you are Diné, then these stories are open to you year-round. I thought for the first episode I would recall how I began this journey into my identity as Dine. Then after we'll get into the creation myths to expound on this experience. In the year 2014, I was at the UNM Gallup branch, barely holding on to what was left of my withering GPA. I needed a class that was going to give me an A. I had one more elective in my associate degree track. Looking at my options, I found a class, Intro to Native American Studies. Boom. This is going to be a breeze, I told myself. I mean, we're all natives. Really, all we're going to do is look around and study each other. Of course, I was wrong. It was quite challenging. The class was taught by Dr. Caroline Whitman. She was a great teacher. For our final project, students were encouraged to write a paper on our own tribe. At this point in my life, I had no connections to any local individuals that lived a traditional Navajo lifestyle. My grandparents lived in Monument Valley, and to commute while on a broke college budget wasn't an option. So my mother introduced me to a man who participated in Sweat Lodge, or Tache, in Winter Rock. Though the Sweat Lodge was NAC-based, it was close enough Navajo for me. The evening of the sweat. The man came and picked me up. I remember feeling anxious on the way to my first Sweat Lodge experience. What am I to do? I'm not good under pressure. What if I forget how to introduce myself? What if I pass out in the sweat? What if I need to pee in the middle of a session? What if I pass out and pee at the same time? The worries were endless. However, once we got there, the men were inviting and respectful. I shook everyone's hand. They assured me that even though they prefer to speak Navajo exclusively, they know I am learning so they will accommodate me in English. The weeks preceding this, I learned in profound and subtle ways the role of a Navajo man. These were regular men that you would see around town. But when they entered the sweat lodge proximity, They put everything aside and revered the ceremonial practice. There were seven sessions in total entering in a clockwise manner. Given that this was NAC, it was what was called the wet sweat, wherein cedar water is cast upon the hot rocks. Furthermore, the sweat lodge is in the shape of a dome, preferably covered in deerskin, whereas Navajo sweat is dry and is dug into the earth whilst having the arrangement of branches and mud. Though both seem different, the practice is the same. Songs were sang, stories were reflected, and a sense of balance was restored. 
The most compelling moment is when the session is over and you feel the fresh air surround your entire body as you exit the sweat. I remember one young man exclaimed, Wow, I feel like I am born again. I remember one evening, overwhelmed with curiosity, I asked the men, What's the story of the sweat lodge? There was a pause. The host of the sweat replied, I was once told that someone saw a vision of the universe, and it was the shape of a turtle. And that is why NAC uses this shape. It is like a universe. He then proceeded to start a song. I sat there listening to the chant, keeping in mind what I was told. Keeping my eyes closed, I suddenly saw the vision of a child enter the sweat lodge. He crawled around the rocks and left. A young man then entered and circled the rocks and left. An older man entered, circled the rocks, and left as well. And finally, a man older than the last came and circled the rocks and left. The song ended and I opened my eyes. I told them I saw something. I don't know exactly how to respond to this. I told them the sweat lodge is a universe. Each of us enter as a son, then a father, then a grandfather, and finally a great-grandfather. Each cycle has challenges, even more difficult than the last, but the end of each session is a breath of fresh air and gratitude for having survived and procuring wisdom throughout. I can feel the silence that followed. Mostly elders... I can only imagine what was going on within them. Finally, the host of the sweat exclaimed, We need to teach our children these things. I promise you, if you do not teach them, these rocks before us will. If you can guess, the rocks of the sweat lodge were the center of my paper for Dr. Whitman. If I'm not mistaken, I got a B in that class. I think. Hopefully an A. Maybe. So now the question is, what did I see? What could this vision be? I didn't know anything. I haven't even read anything substantial prior to this experience. It was all new to me. Fortunately, our creation story has a lot to say about what I saw. Let's first discuss both the Hogan, Hoan, and the Sweat Lodge as Cosmos. Cosmos. So I'm going to read from Dinajinak E Nahane. I apologize if I didn't pronounce that right. A Utah Navajo history written by Clyde Benali, published in 1982. So briefly, let's talk about the Hogan as Cosmos, or Cosmos. I'm going to read from page 4. The holy people came into the third world from the south. They found two rivers flowing through this yellow world, Nyslitz'o Dasik'a. A female river ran from east to west, and a male river from north to south. The place where the waters cross, is below the Navajo Lake in northwest New Mexico. Again, in the third world, first man opened up his medicine bundle and took out the jewels. He placed white shell in the east and turquoise in the south, abalone in the west and jet in the north. He blew on them four times till they expanded and touched each other overhead. In this way, he made a hogan that became the world. Then he took the earth that he brought from below and made the sacred mountains. Let's pause here and take note. What is significant of seeing the hogan as the world? It's entirely relational. In other words, the order of the world is also the order of the household. Thus, if we wish to restore balance and order in the world, we must first begin with our families. Let's continue. The story then speaks of the creation of the sacred mountains. And then continuing to the bottom of page 5, it reads, First man placed the first made man and the first made woman in the place of honor at the west side of the Hogan, opposite the door. There he sat also with first woman, first boy, first girl, and coyote. Then first man assigned places in the Hogan to all things made in the world, earth and mountain woman, 
zigzag lightning and straight lightning, male rain and female rain, dark cloud and vegetation, yellow, white, blue, striped, and many colored male and female corn, reflected red sun rays, rainbow and lightning, sky, moon, sun, darkness and dawn, monster slayer and born for water, corn beetle girl and pollen boy, happiness and long life, owl and badger, these were the inner forms of beings that would later line in the Earth's surface world or fourth world after the emergence. We all know what happens next, the flood and the chaos thereof. In a later episode, we'll cover the flood in depth, but for now, let's see the response of first men after the emergence to the Earth's surface world. Given that orderly cosmos has been distraught, not only in the story, but in our current day as well, by what method do we restore order? Now this is where the sweat lodge makes sense. Let's continue to page 8, section entitled The Earth's Surface World and Changing Woman, from Blessing Way, Hajonje, it states, Now the first man worried about the state of things in the Earth's surface world. He decided to make a sweat house. When it was finished, first man and first woman covered the door with blankets and went in. First man opened his medicine bundle and took the perfect spirit forms out of the wrappers of white shell, turquoise, abalone, and jet. Everything in this world shall have an inner form, he said. The sun and the moon shall have an inner form, and the mountain woman, the water woman too. Then he made more inner forms. He placed them beside each other on the sheets of dawn, evening, twilight, sunlight, and darkness he had spread out. He said these shall be white shell boy, turquoise boy, abalone boy, and jet boy. These shall be called rock crystal, mirage, pollen, and corn beetle boys. These shall be called dewy body and dewy leaves. Thus he made them by naming them. Let's first note that this is very similar to the previous process of establishing the Hogan as world. What can we say about this process? What we are seeing here is recreation, and thereby re-establishing order once again. So anytime you go into a sweat lodge, you are participating in a process of recreation. Recall my observation of the young man who attended the sweat lodge with me. After exiting, he said, I feel like I am born again. He is recreated. Now understand this. When you exit a sweat lodge, you are no longer an alcoholic. You are no longer an addict. You are no longer an adulterer. You are no longer corrupt. You are made new. I want to briefly recall one experience at the sweat lodge. At the end of one brutal session, all the men were eager to exit the sweat. But at the very last second, a man came through the door. He was weeping. He told everyone at the sweat about his moral failings. He failed as a father, as a son, as a brother and as a husband. Given that we were done with our final session, the men were quite irritated that they had to endure longer on account of this man's problems. The host noticed this behavior and quickly told everyone, this is why we are here. None of us are perfect. We all seek cleansing. In this moment it was made clear, the sweat lodge isn't solely meant to test physical and mental endurance. Rather, it is a place of refuge when you can no longer endure life itself. When you are weak, alone, and downtrodden, this is where you go. This is where creation is brought back into balance. Nowadays, in the era of mass cancellation, for seemingly every ethical trespass, large and small, there is absolutely no room for redemption or rehabilitation. How then must the Dinet, the Earth's surface people, restore balance? It was the sweat lodge that both victim and perpetrator could sit in full surrender to the renewal of their minds wherein the darkness of the sweat would alleviate our physical sight that we may see with our spirit. It was the sweat that arranged our seemingly chaotic lives into a holy chant for all creation here, 
It was the sweat where young men would listen to the age-old wisdom of those who came before. Therefore, in respect of those who came before me, I will also proclaim, we must build a sweat with the store to the east, and his entrance is the earth. None of us are perfect. We all seek cleansing. Come, young and old, let us participate in the recreation of this world. This is our purpose. Now God Dinah.